No, because I think then it points more to Jesus because he's the ultimate teacher here and I want them to see him and not me anyway. So if they get to see my broken cracks and, and flaws and if they're benefiting from the teaching, what who does that point to? And I, I've had people say over and over again that they like the transparency of a teacher because then they feel it's relatable. They say, well, if you know scripture and yet you have this sin struggle, that means that with my sin struggles, I can still know scripture too. It's not some unattainable thing out there. Once I get my spiritual act together, I can really learn God's word. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Lydia Brownback. Lydia is a women's Bible study teacher, a speaker at women's conferences around the world, and the author of several books, including Esther, The Hidden Hand of God, which is the first volume in her brand new 10-week Flourish Bible study series. Today, Lydia and I discuss some of her tips for leading an effective, engaging Bible study. She reflects on what she's learned over the years from Bible studies she's been a part of, offers advice for keeping the conversation on track and getting through the occasional awkward silence, and discusses why a Bible study leader's own passion for the text is so important for the group as a whole. Let's get started. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway Podcast today. It's great to be back with you, Matt. So how long have you been uh, writing and teaching women's Bible studies? I've just started writing them. Um, before, I would informally prepare a lesson for a Bible study, but I'm just getting into the more formalized writing. Um, I've been teaching Bible studies probably for, I don't know, over 20 years now. Hmm. And what kind of context have you done that? Um, church context, um, women's Bible studies in church or a little more informally in my home, um, but, but always women's groups and varying sizes uh, varying ages and mm-hmm. stages. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, from from uh, baby believers to those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Um, it's run the gamut. And it's interesting as the teacher, I learn just as much from the people attending as they learn from the teacher because everyone, all the many facets of God's word. You know, everyone says that, but like, what do you mean by that? Like, how is that the case? Even if they ask a question, uh, it's maybe an angle I never thought about, or mm. they will actually have an insight that's just so wonderful. And mm. you know, the Holy Spirit's using this mm. this this confab of people, uh, to, uh, speaking through each one, illuminating through each one. And obviously, you're you're bouncing it off the you're you're it's reflecting the text, mm-hmm. so it's faithful to the text, and you're throwing out what isn't. But as we come together around a particular text, and we're all looking at it, it, it is that multifaceted approach that's, uh, it's a learning experience for everyone in the room. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about God's Word, is that it, it is so multifaceted, there's so much depth there, uh, that it, you can study it over and over and over again, and still come away with new stuff. We'll never exhaust it. Mm. And we can't. As human beings, we can never exhaust it. And don't you, don't you find that when you're uh, reading a passage maybe you read last January and you come across it again, but given where you are now in July and you're reading that, that text and it hits you in a brand new way mm. and the Lord lays it on your heart in a brand new way or it opens your eyes to something about him in a brand new way. So we can never, again, we never exhaust it. I think everyone has those experiences. So as you look back over your life, kind of thinking back, uh, is there someone that you can point to in your life who first 
you know, got you excited about studying the Bible, about what the Bible is, about what it has for us, and what it means to actually dig in for yourself? Is there someone who stands out? Oh, one of my seminary professors. Mm. Um, he, uh, he was, his name was Ray Dillard. He passed away um, shortly after I graduated from seminary way back in the 90s. And he, I took uh, the minor prophets from him. And, you know, I mean, I'd never studied the minor prophets before. And you don't see a lot of minor prophet studies these days. And we should because it's so, so mm. relevant and so amazing. So, um, but he would, when he was teaching, he would weep when he hit certain parts. And he was just so passionate mm. about the text he was teaching us that it, it made me want to dive into the minor prophets myself. Um, and then I think other pastors, I, I, you know, it's, it's, there's no one in particular. I mean, many like Ray Dillard, my pastor, Phil Reich and James Boyce, and there've been others, Alistair Begg. Um, and it's their passion for God's word that's mm. contagious. Mm. And I think when, when people are teaching with passion, it does pull others into wanting to find, have that discovery for themselves. Yeah. So how much of that do you think is at play when it comes to being a good Bible study leader? Just having, not just having it, but then displaying that passion for the text to the people that you're leading. You know, I think that that is really important. Um, I think one of the ways to go about it, though, we can, I think we can, we can overdo, yeah. overteach. And then we take away the joy of discovery. Mm. Yeah, isn't that half the fun? Is when people are do, when you're doing a Bible study with people, you want to lead them to make the discovery. You don't want to just tell them what it is. Which is probably harder, oftentimes. It can be, and I'm discovering that by writing Bible studies. You know, does this question make, make sense to me? Does it make sense to them? And mm. is, is it spoon feeding them, yeah. or is it or or is it too complicated where they're not going to get what I'm talking about? Yeah. I thought writing Bible studies would be a cinch compared to writing other kinds of books, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different depending on the yeah. what you're actually doing. So maybe thinking back again over your over your life, is there a Bible study that you were a part of, not leading, but maybe just participating in, that stands out to you? As you think about like what you're trying to accomplish what, when you lead a Bible study, is there another example from your own uh, your own life that kind of stands as a great example of that? The one I think it's it's been definitive for me happened more recently. Hmm. Um, and it was a Bible study I was in in New York. And it had the, the group it was a group of women, a large group of women, I'd say on any given week, there were 40 people. Okay. Uh, on the on the roster were 80. So a large number. And they were from a variety of backgrounds. Um, some were, I think there were a handful of unbelievers in there, just, you know, Christian curious. Yeah. You know? And we had, I think there were seven or eight from the local Catholic church who were coming. And we were one day, I remember, I mean, just the questions and the wonder. And one day a woman was sitting in the back crying. I forget which text we were talking about, but she was crying. What book of the Bible were you guys looking at? I'm try- I, think that, I think we were looking at Galatians. Okay. And she was crying. She was always a quiet woman anyway. And so I didn't obviously want to say, well, are you okay in the middle of this? <laughs> so, so at the end I went and said, hey, what's going on? You know, I noticed you were crying and... And she said, you were talking about grace, and I've never heard any of this before. And she was crying because she was so struck with the awesomeness of God's grace. And she, she had never, ever before in her own church, she was one of the people who attends the Catholic Church, she'd never, she'd never heard that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. And she, she'd never, she was weeping with joy. Mm. 
And I, I just so quietly there in the back, that was probably the highlight moment for me of Bible study, mm. to see that happen in yeah. that room. Yeah. yeah. So isn't that why we do this? I mean, people just showing up and sitting in the back and that kind of thing happens. Yeah. And then they, they, they start coming every week after that. Yeah. It's so yeah. great. You see the, the Word of God active yeah. and making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you enjoy most about the actual uh, process, the act of leading? So... Um, you know, when it comes to standing up in front of people or sitting around a circle with people, um, what's the most fun part of that? And then I'd love to know what's the least fun part or maybe the most <laughs> stressful part for you. Um, I think it's like when you teach a book, when I teach a book like uh, One of the Minor Prophets, say I did, a, I did a study on Hosea, and there's so much in there repetitively about God's judgment. And it's like we, if you're doing a chapter a week, you're going through week after week of a lot of God's judgment. Yeah. And you you can you start to say how are how are the people going to how are these women going to say you know you can tell kind of does why does this matter what does this have to do with my life or does this have to do with my life and maybe it's really scary or is God really like this uh, and and so you recognize this is this is the kind of thing that that steers people away from the Old Testament or from some of these books where they see a lot of this and they think they just either can't deal with it or they don't know how to understand it or no one's ever taught them how to how to study it mm. and to say God is the same yesterday today and forever so it does matter to look at God in that context and then to say big picture redemptive history how is that now how is that you know where is Jesus yeah. in this yeah. and and to get them excited about, oh, the minor prophets do matter. I think I want to study that book of the Bible. And then to equip them to know how to do it on their own, mm. to want to read through it in their devotion time in the morning, to, to pick up, you know, uh, Malachi and read through it. Um, and some of them have never read mm. these books of the Bible. So you feel that way about kind of all tough or tricky passages that are maybe uncomfortable do you kind of particularly enjoy teaching people through those? If they can capture the excitement that you know, so so right now in my own Bible reading, I'm reading through the the, the in Joshua where where the promised land is apportioned off to different tribes, and chapters are like just this you know names of places and people that mean nothing to today, of mm-hmm. course. So as you as you. But this is God's word, and it, so it's there for a reason. It matters. And so we could put our rational mind on this and say, this doesn't matter. And, uh, but if we humble our hearts beneath God's hand and we get into his word and we pray to be, to be receiving what he would give, it's amazing how you know, suddenly there's this discovery that, well, what does it say? It kind of ties us, ties us back to the verse in Acts where, you know, it says God determines the boundaries of our dwelling. And so this is going back there to he's determining the boundaries of people's dwelling. And this was the, the promised land and, and the tribes and, and different peoples in different places. So this is, this is meant for his people and for his purposes. So then how do we then apply that personally? You back away, you apply it by saying, what does this tell us about God and, and one, his, sovereign, his sovereignty over even where we live. And two, that he cares about the details of our lives. So as we're reading a list of, of names and places that mean nothing today, what is it telling us about God? And that's Bible study. It's meant to do that. Mm. Well, that's such an interesting point because I think a lot of times our experience of Bible study, I know this is true for me, is um, it actually seems like the, uh, the preoccupation can be, let's try to understand fairly quickly what the text is saying, and then let's go around and we'll each share 
kind of what that means to, to me or how that's going to make an impact in my life uh, tomorrow. Um, what do you think about that? How, how do you balance the, the value and the, the time spent studying the text itself, trying to understand the meaning of the text and what it's telling us about God with also maybe the value, the need of applying it to our lives in some kind of personal way. Well, and both matter. And don't we see people, we see errors on either side. Mm-hmm. And to say that it doesn't matter at all, application to just, you know, I, I've known known preachers who will say they will never make an application at the end of a sermon because they'll say, well, it'll figure itself out. They'll, if they just follow this, the application will show up in their life. And I do think as shepherds guiding sheep, you know, part of it is to, I mean, look how practical Jesus was in his preaching and teaching. And Paul, too, at the end of his epistles, there's all this practical application stuff. Mm. So, you know, I think we have our paradigm right there in Scripture. So there's that balance. It's saying, you know, this historical context matters and we can't skip over it because then we're not being faithful to the text. But then we don't want to just leave it there because then you've just you've give, you've equipped people's heads, but have you equipped their hearts and their lives? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there is that, and I I, I do love how um, scripture does, especially the epistles, and how we see we get we get all the doctrine, and then it's applied. Mm. So so right there, you know, in Paul's letters, we get we get to see this. Yeah, we see that pattern of yeah. of. Uh... Yeah, doctrine and application. Yeah. So then what would you say is your least favorite part of leading a Bible study? Is there something that's maybe stressful? Consistently, it's a challenge to prepare for, or it's a challenge to work through in the moment. Anything come to mind? Well, we have to explain difficult theological concepts that people are scared by or turned away by. If you want to talk about election, for example, I dread when we hit a text on election, but we have to cover it. Yeah. And as I think about the study in New York, you know, when we hit that, it would have been so easy to duck it because all these different backgrounds and people, well, they won't come back. No, we have to hit it. And it was a contentious day, but I realized just present it in a way that's humble and, and listening and not coming in like, this is it, this is all figured out. And, and it, and to be able to present it in a, in a winsome way from scripture itself. Mm. And I don't trot out Luther and Calvin and all of that. These women could care less about that. What I'm trotting out is God's word yeah. and, and how it's sort of helping them get it from the text itself. Can you think back on any examples where studies you were leading where uh, maybe there was some kind of controversial passage or doctrine that sort of came up naturally and things just kind of went off the rails, like you weren't prepared for how intense it would get or how... Uh, upset maybe some people got? Yeah, um, I think a big one is in Peter, where we're talking about his instructions to wives and submission. And uh, if you're putting that, I mean, that's a, that's a very controversial one. So I've had women get up and walk out and uh, so or, or argue or debate. And yeah, I'd say that that issue, especially yeah. lately. So how did you handle that? You know, when you're trying to lead a study, you, you've said you want to encourage exploration and discovery on people's, you know, for themselves. You don't want to just want to always be telling them this is the right answer. Just accept right. it. But you also want to want the productive conversation to happen and not to devolve into a bunch of arguing. So how do you how do you balance those things? Well, one of the things I point out in that example exactly is, you know, specifically is the context of why what Peter was saying, and back then the submission, it it was about it it was in the context of of the gospel and presenting the gospel and how women were perceived in the culture, and it was it was it was about how a woman conducted herself 
if she's trying to win her husband and she's if she's acting a certain way, it's going to shame his reputation in the community. So if this woman is trying to win her husband, some of this about like don't let your adorning be with the braided hair and all this and be submissive and and that's the context for that remark. It's it's not the sort of Neanderthal caveman type of thing that some people think it is. Mm. Then uh, on top of that, I, I'm sure to point out what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean tolerating abuse. And even in Peter's day and age, abuse was was looked down on. And, mm. and, and I mean, there weren't jail sentences for it probably, but there were. De- it was definitely not accepted. Yeah. So I'm quick to always say what, what submission isn't. So there's a way to, to bring it out from the text, not just the one you're studying, but the whole picture of the Bible yeah. and the character of God. That's such an interesting point, just that when it comes to these tricky passages or doctrines that you're actually spending time pointing out what it's not. Because so often that's the case where people who maybe disagree with something, sometimes the most vigorous opponents, when you talk to them a little bit about it, it's almost like they don't fully understand or they have a caricature in mind of what this doctrine really says or means. And so there's value in kind of maybe breaking that down a little bit as opposed to just uh, just almost presenting the positive picture of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of it. I think another another controversy that can come up is there's a huge contingent, of, as you know, of, of evangelicals who equate America with Christianity. So if you're if you are not making that same link in what you're teaching, they there's bafflement sometimes and they they question and it, that that can take it off the rails too mm. um it can become quickly a political conversation and um so i think especially right now in our political climate um uh, that's that's a big issue at the moment yeah uh for bible study leaders to have to contend with yeah teachers yeah, yeah. so what are some of the most common pitfalls that maybe uh you've had to learn to avoid or you've seen other bible study teachers uh, have to kind of work themselves out of uh, kind of what comes to mind on that front? You know, probably some practical things here. Uh, I would say, and this is, the, it's just being able to, to, to rule the room in a way that's not like you're ruling the room. And so you have the person who will monologue if given the floor and take the study, not just down uh, off on some tangent, but try to answer every question. Yeah. Um, or it's, it's, you also want the teacher to not answer every question. It, it, like, live with the awkward silence. If there's a silence for a minute, don't rush to fill it. Do you Let have it. a rule of thumb for how long you'll wait until you say something? If if there's, you can sense discomfort, or if everyone's looking down and no one's looking up, and because people are just uncomfortable, then you just jump in, of course. But if they're kind of looking because they're waiting to see who's going to go first, and they might have something to say, but like, well, I spoke last time. I want so and so to get have a chance. Just wait. So. Uh, you know, or if someone starts to give the wrong answer, um, let them finish. Don't interrupt them. And then, and then worst thing is to shame them for their answer. Mm. And it's to say, you know, that's a great perspective. Um, you know, does someone else want to add something? And then, then you kind of can say, well, here's how I take that. And, and so you're, you're actually correcting without shaming anybody and making them feel stupid. Yeah. So that's important to do. That's got to be a tough balance to, to walk because how do you determine, you know, somebody might say something that's maybe just not really there in the text. It's not really wrong necessarily, but it's just not what the text is about. But what if someone were to say something that's, you know, really theologically problematic in your mind? You're just like, I actually totally disagree with that. Um, 
what do you do in that situation? Then I will, of course, speak up and say, you know, I mean, there's some people who th- feel that way, and you know, there's books written along those lines. But but here's why, I think this other view is better, mm. and I'll I'll lay it out. Um, and uh, so you know, if it's a secondary issue like an end times view, it's like let's just not even go there unless we're studying that. Yeah. Um, but if it's a if it's a core doctrine, then it has to be addressed right away. Yeah. Have you ever had that not go so well? I think only with election conversations. They yes, that one. When you're talking about Romans nine and getting in there about how Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated, and who are you to talk back to God because He chooses whom He wills and harden who hardens whom He wills. Mm-hmm. And uh, they look at that, they see it, and you watch their brain not accept it. Mm. And, and that's the words of Scripture themselves. <laughs> yes. But they think, well, you must be able to modify that by something else in Scripture. So so that can. That's the one I think that can be most mm. challenging of all. Yeah. And then you you also you have in the Psalms you have um, the imprecatory Psalms where there's prayers about kill kill our enemies you'll kill our enemies and and then the commands to go in and kill and where, you know when they were taking over the the promised land and go in and wipe out every man woman and child and 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 so it's explaining then. Uh, about judgment and how it's not that the people, the Israelites were were better, were superior or morally righteous. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was this, the judgment of this other group was ripe, yeah. and that that's the position of everyone apart from the intervention of mm. God Himself. So, mm. so you have to. But initially, when you hear these things in Scripture, um, whether it's women's issues or whether it's you know just the the killing. Um, or election. I mean, the, yeah, there's a lot of dicey stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what about any other pitfalls that you've uh, learned to avoid over the years? Yeah, I think just really practical ones. Um, and this is going to sound just so basic, but it, when I'm when I'm going to teach a study or teach a group, I do I do feel that to people need to kind of know what to expect when they come in. They need to know when we're going to begin. They need to know when we're going to end, and so especially if it's a, an ongoing group, uh, you're going to meet on a weekly basis. Y- you know, people people need to count on beginning and ending on time and what what's going to happen in between. And sometimes someone will come in with a big crisis and then the whole study can go away and it, because it becomes about helping someone with their crisis. So it's figuring out how to manage that sort of thing mm. and keep keep the study on track without being cold and unfeeling. Yeah. So that those are things for I think for Bible study groups for big teaching things. I think it's it's if you're if you if they're expecting you to come in and teach on something, teach on that thing. Um don't bait and switch. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that happens sometimes? Bait and switch idea? I, I think it I think it can. I think sometimes when someone's billing what they're going to do in a certain way, um and they come in, they're, they're either unprepared or they've changed their mind or something. And even they're thinking on whatever it was they were going to teach. And, and I don't think it's frequent, but it does happen. And so that can really derail yeah. a lot. Yeah. So what do you think about the idea of homework? So I know some people, some Bible studies are, you kind of come once a week and you just sort of can come. Maybe you've read the passage, maybe you haven't, but you're just kind of coming cold and you're sort of discussing it there. Other studies are the other extreme where it's like every day you've got pretty intense homework for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and you come, you know, having spent hours in that text every week. Do you think there's a a happy middle ground that you think is ideal or? You know, it depends on the nature of the study. The one in New York that was all those women uh, of varying backgrounds um, 
what I would do is the Sunday afternoon before we would meet on Thursday. So the Sunday afternoon before I would send it. We always did a chapter, a Bible chapter a week or a portion of a chapter, whatever the text was. And I would say, here are discussion questions for this chapter. And so please read the passage and just here is the questions in advance. If you want to jot down some answers, great. But if not, just show up. But please read the text. Mm. So that was all in that group. And if they and I said, if you don't have time to read the text, come anyway. We were gonna we're gonna start out by reading it together. Yeah. And uh, but then those uh, people sometimes would come in their their whole they'd print it out and they'd write all these notes in there. And others would just would just oh I didn't have time to get to it this week. But they never felt like they couldn't show up if they hadn't gotten to it. Yeah. So in that particular study, that was the main point. I wanted them there and not to be intimidated by any sort of preparation they had to do. Mm. Uh, other studies, I, I do think that the nature of it is you need to have this time to marinate in the text before you're gathering with the group and just blindly shooting your mouth off. So, you know, I do think that there's, it depends again on the group. So um, there's a lot of merit to do the homework, um, whatever pace the Bible study teacher is setting for that, whether it's a daily dose you work on or whether it's just a chunk during the course of a week. Mm -hmm. But I think the most important part is to, is to be in the scripture text itself. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned not wanting people to feel intimidated by, um, by the study itself or even just by the Bible itself, the idea of studying the Bible on their own throughout the week. What would you say to someone who comes to you and just says, you know, I've never done this before. And to be honest, I am intimidated. This, this seems scary uh, I don't understand a lot of the things that I, I feel like I'm reading here in Scripture. Maybe it's a, a less familiar book like uh, a minor prophet or something like Leviticus. that. Leviticus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to someone who just says, I, I do feel intimidated by this, and I just don't, I don't feel like I can do this? Well, I would probably, that's a great question. Um, I would probably say God has given his word for everybody, and it is his will for you to understand. So then I would also explain, for example, we see in Acts 8 how Philip came across the Ethiopian eunuch who was studying the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, hey, what are you reading here? And he said, I'm not really sure. How can I know that unless someone explains it to me? And so one of the things we get from that text is that God has equipped certain people and it's a calling. We see that on the gift lists all through the New Testament. He's equipped some to teach his word. That's how he intends people to learn it. And so, so it's not just sit home on your couch with the Holy Spirit and your Bible. I mean, we're supposed to be in the context of other believers as we learn God's word. Sitting under preaching, that's part of, that's Bible study. That's learning. That's hearing it preached to you. It's, it's, it's also sitting on your couch, but it's not ever just sitting on your couch. Mm. So we're, we're meant to be in a group. We're meant to learn from other people whom God is especially equipped to teach it. So we see that right there in Acts 8, how it is, it, this man was saying, I can't understand unless someone explains it to me. So we know it is God's will for us to understand. So what has he given? He's given us pastors and teachers. And I think that if we're intimidated by it, we need to get ourselves under that and uh, to be in a good church where the word is taught all the time. Mm. Um, and then to ask for recommendations for, for our personal Bible study and to find one that's user-friendly, that's, that's for, if, if you're, if for brand new Bible study, if you're just new to Bible study, mm -hmm. that's going to help you walk through it. Yeah. That's the way. Yeah, I've been surprised in my own life just how uh, many people don't know about a lot of things that maybe... I might consider pretty basic or simple, you know, just knowing how to find a good Bible, study Bible. That's, that's the kind of thing that I think some people, they haven't like, grown up in a really solid church like that or haven't had mentors in their life. Those basic things can often be 
things that we ignore when we're working with somebody might actually be very helpful. Yeah, and a study, a study, a good point, good mention about a study Bible. I mean, those can be such a gift, and they can be cost prohibitive for some people. Um, you know, there's, there's, and if that's the case, um, there's, there's accessible, affordable resources as well. Mm. So, but it's asking, it's asking a teacher or pastor for recommendations within your price range. Yeah. And uh, surely they'll be able to help you. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, just what to do in those awkward silences where you ask a question and, and maybe people don't immediately jump up to say something, but maybe even digging in a little bit more on that front. When it does come to application, to um, applying scripture to our own lives, to being honest about the things that we're struggling with and, and letting scripture inform those things, how do you encourage a level of honesty and transparency in a group setting. I think we've all probably been in groups where it felt like all the prayer requests were uh, very surface level. They didn't really go anywhere uh, deep, at least it seemed like. Uh, but then you can also have the other extreme where someone's sharing maybe too much, they're oversharing, and it kind of does sidetrack the whole group. It kind of comes about them and their problems as opposed to studying scripture. So how do you encourage the level of uh, honest application that doesn't get a little too intense. You know, uh, to your point about prayer there, um, in, in the big group in New York, we would go about, the group was so large that we didn't have a prayer time. And if you think about it, if you if you had, if we had done that, it would have taken the whole 90 mm. minutes. So we would pass an envelope and people would write, in an index card, people would write their request on there, put it in the envelope, pass the envelope around the room. And then we had a, a point person who would go home and type them all up and send them and we'd pray for each other through the week. Oh, cool. Now, if there was a, obviously a, a huge crisis going on, we would, we would drop what we were doing for five minutes, listen and pray and then go back to the study. Mm. So um, I think those things are important to do to show caring and compassion. And we do need to know uh, and to pray for each other. I do think that's an important thing too. Um, but as far as the honesty and the sharing of, of personal stuff, when you, if you have that kind of time going on where you're discussing applications at the end of a study or prayer time, mm -hmm. you're right, Matt, there is so much of that safety about, you know, what they say, Aunt Bessie's big toe, let's pray for that. <laughs> and it's, but it's all the health requests and it's the travel requests and uh, the financial requests. And the, I'm just really busy. Just pray for me because I'm just so busy. That's, <laughs> that's the go-to these days, it seems. Yeah, the busy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the study I've been in in the last year has been really great. It's, I think it's a smaller group of women, and, and there's eight or nine of us on a given week. And you, there, you, there's a built-in trust when you – I think size does make a difference when, mm. when it comes to being open. But someone has to go first with the honesty. And in that sense, it should be the leader, I think. Yeah. And so why not say, put it out there and say, you know, I have this sin issue I'm really struggling with here. And this passage this week brought out this sin. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. And I don't know how to stop being guilty of that. Would you help me pray? Would you pray for me about this sin? And it's amazing how when you open up about your own sins, it does encourage other people to do that. But someone has to go first, and it should be the leader, mm. I think. Does it ever feel difficult as, as a Bible study leader? Do you ever just feel like, oh, it's just going to be counterproductive, or they're not going to respect me or listen to me as well if they know that, you know, I, I have all the right answers, but I just, I, I don't actually live up to this stuff. Do you ever feel that tension? No, because I think then it points more to Jesus than it, you know, because he's the ultimate teacher here. And uh, I want them to see him and not me anyway. Mm. So if they get to see my broken 
cracks and and flaws, then it and if they're benefiting from the teaching, what who does that point to? And I, I've had people say over and over again that they like the transparency of a teacher because then they feel it's relatable. And they say, well, if you know scripture. And yet you have this sin struggle. That means that with my sin struggles, I can still know Scripture too. It's not some unattainable thing out there. Once I get my spiritual act together, I can really learn God's Word. Mm. So it's like in the midst of our struggles with sin, we learn God's Word because we're wrestling with God. And that's when we're, isn't that when we're most in the text, when we're suffering something we don't understand or we're struggling with sin? It's the hard stuff of life that gets us in there to see what it really says anyway. Mm. And if they know that's how that teacher did it, that's going to drive them to think, well, that's what it's there for them to do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, maybe as a last couple of questions, two parts to this question. So if you were sitting across from a relatively new Bible study leader, maybe this is their first, their first go around of actually leading a study, and they're about to start this new study, and you only have five minutes to talk with them, what three pieces of advice might you offer that person? I would say staying in the scripture text is the most important thing and being faithful to what you see there, not imposing your own ideas on it or a million commentaries ideas on it. Stay faithful to the text uh, and, and use outside resources to back up what you're doing, but, but don't superimpose them onto the text. You think that's an easy thing to kind of slip into? Yes, if they're not confident in their own understanding of it. And mm. I think these harder texts, can, it can be easy to say, well, I respect this person. I'm just going to take what he said or she said and adopt that and just t- teach it. Yeah. And but then if you're asked a question, you, you don't really know, and you're kind of skimming over it quickly, and it's not going to be clear to the people you're teaching. Yeah. And it's basically, I think, that this could be number two. You know the text before you teach. And it, whatever it takes, go for help, ask for help, you know, listen to podcasts, buy a commentary, talk to your pastor, ask to go to use your pastor's library, uh, whatever. Just be sure you know the text before you teach it. So that would Mm. be the second. And the third, know your audience. Know the people you're teaching. Are they new believers? Have they been Christians a long time? What depth of Bible study are they looking for? What's going to challenge them but not overwhelm them? What's going, and ultimately, as we started with, what's going to get them so excited about studying God's Word for themselves once they leave your study? So you're thinking longer term than just the study that you're actually teaching. Yeah. I want them to fall in love with studying God's Word, with knowing how to do that in a way that's faithful to the text, and, that, that, and to, to give them the tools to know how to, to go in there and understand why the original context matters and to ultimately say, what is this, how does this point to Jesus? What does it teach us about the Lord? What do we learn about our great God here? And to every time they go off on their own then to do Bible study, mm. those are the questions they're seeking to get from the text themselves. And it becomes automatic in their life. So if you're, that's what you're, you're not just teaching them a book of the Bible, you're teaching them how to study the right, Bible themselves. Right. Yeah. How, how dominant is that dynamic in your mind as you teach or even as you prepare to teach? The idea of, I want to teach people the tools they need to then study the Bible for themselves. So I want to teach them why it's important and how to actually, you know, figure out the historical context. I want to teach them why and how to look for these key words. How, how dominant is that in your mind as you prepare and as you teach? I think it just becomes an automatic way that I'm teaching. So when you start out, you know, it's, it's here's the context. And I don't say here's the context. I just, I tell them the context. And when I've taught, 
Bible studies, we work through a book of the Bible. We, we start at the beginning, we hit every verse, and we go to the end. And, and it, so it's teaching them those, the tools of expositional study and why one thing builds on another thing and how um, the original audience matters and all those things without making it sound dry and dull. Mm. You, you tell them, here's, here's who Peter was writing to. These were people who had lived in Rome and then had been sort of kicked out and they, they, were, they were shunned and they had to go live in these outlying provinces. And so... They were exiles, and so it's like painting the picture in mm. their mind instead of saying context matters. So what's the context? You know, it's 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 helping them see it for themselves mm. without dry theological terms, and then you walk them through the whole book. I, occasionally, I've broken off and done topical studies, and I, when I say topical, I mean like over the summer maybe we'll do a book. We did a Paul Tripp book one year. Um, another time. You know, we didn't do a work through a book of the Bible, but we did the prayers of Paul for a, a, a season. And that was fascinating to do, the prayers of Paul. And at the end of each week, we'd say, let our prayer requests be praying these prayers for each other. Mm. What in the, can we, can we, do we pray this way? How are, so I mean, so there's a place for that kind of thing too. And not just always going through a book of the Bible. Yeah. But predominantly, that's how. So those yeah. are the three things I would, yeah. would say. Yeah. And then what would you say, same, same question for somebody who is uh, maybe just a participant, so not leading a study, but maybe this is their first time going through a study, or, or, or maybe it's not. Maybe they've, been, they've done it a few times, but it's been a while, or they still feel a little bit unsure as to, to what it's going to be like. What three pieces of advice would you offer to a participant? I would say ask a question if you have it. And, you know, the old saying is true, there's no dumb question. And come in there and know that your teacher wants to help you understand. And probably if you have that question, someone else in the room does too. So you're helping everyone by raising your hand and asking the question. So don't be scared of that because you're there to learn. And to read the text before you come and know what you're going to be covering that day. Mm. And if you're not sure, write an email to the teacher and say, could you remind me? And or whatever it takes, just try to read through the passage before you come. Sure. Any teacher would not see that as a, as a burn. They'd be probably pretty excited to have get that email. Right. And hopefully the teacher's posted it somewhere where it's, it's evident. So, yeah. But just read through it. Even if you just have 10 minutes to just, just know what you're – just read through it. Third thing is at the end when people are when, – when the application's being made – Listen to the diff- how other people are, are applying it or what they're saying they're going to apply or how they're going to pray about it. What can you learn from what they're contributing to the conversation for your own application too? And if, there's, if you need clarity for how to apply the text, ask the teacher for clarity. And number three, as you come to the study and as you leave, ask the Lord to illuminate your mind and your heart both. Ask him to open your mind to be able to understand the concepts being taught and pray for the humility of heart to receive what's being taught and then pray for wisdom and discernment to, to, to know what to accept, maybe what needs some follow-up, some questions, uh, but, but prayer, begin and end with prayer as you mm-hmm. come to the study. Yeah. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for taking some time to, to yeah, offer some guidance and some tips for Bible study leaders uh, as we as we all want to get into the Word and understand it a little bit better. Thanks, Matt. It's such an important thing for all of us to do, if not the most important thing we can do with our day. So mm. thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. That was Lydia Brownback on Leading an Effective Bible Study. Be sure to check out her new Bible study from Crossway, Esther, The Hidden Hand of God, 
which is the first volume in her brand new 10-week Flourish Bible Study series, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to The Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.